Hello, friends, and welcome to the very first bonus episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Dimmitt. Today's guest is Alex Bridgewater. Alex is a very impressive rock climber and coaches with Climbstrong. If you listen to the mashup episode I did with the Climbstrong team in episode 36, you heard a short excerpt from a much longer conversation I recorded with Alex, which I'm sharing in this bonus episode. I had planned on sitting down for about 15 minutes with Alex, and we talked for an hour and a half, and it was super interesting, so I thought I would share it. We talked about Alex's evolution as a rock climber and his transition into strength training and coaching. We talked about managing a chronic back injury, some of his favorite barbell and bodyweight exercises that he does for himself and with some of his clients. We talked about speed walking and about the importance of self-belief. All of the resources we mentioned are linked in the show notes, as usual, over at thenuggetclimbing.com if you're interested in any of that. And that's it. Please enjoy this bonus conversation with Alex Bridgewater. I'm excited to dig into your experience. So you're really interesting to me because you're like third generation climb strong coach. Mm-hmm. It seems like, right? Like I've talked to Steve a lot over the years. Yeah. Steve trained Charlie. Yeah. And Charlie was your coach. Charlie was my I, coach. I just found that out the other day. Yeah, so. totally. It's an interesting story. Yeah. Um, or maybe it's not interesting. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> let's, let's find out. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> yeah. What brought you to, I, to him and to climb strong? Yeah. So long story short uh or short story long rather um i like grew up as a competitive climber i the first time i ever climbed was outside when i was like young 12 10 or 12 and then the only thing that was like really available to me was indoor climbing where was this at in southern massachusetts okay Um, so i grew up in plymouth mass which is like 30 minutes south of boston and really i would identify my youth as like a skater that's like what what I grew up doing and, and yeah I can remember like having arguments in my kitchen with my parents of like <laughs> I don't want to do my homework and I'm not doing it and I'm going to the skate park because I'm gonna make something of myself through skateboarding yeah. you know like having these heated arguments but like of course that was just a pipe dream but that was what I identified with at the time was it were you were you was there any chance that that was going to happen? No, you... not at all. No, okay. but I didn't have any understanding of what that even meant. You okay, know? Yeah. that was just an excuse for me to like be not at the skate park homework. until ten p.m. on a weekday, you know, and uh, and hang out with my homies. And it's funny because all the people that I grew up with, they still all skateboard, mm. and a few of my friends are pros and like did some things with that. Uh, and I still do skateboard, but not a ton. Anyways, I still at that time was also, I was climbing in a gym. I was on this team. It was really hodgepodge. Like, you know, you think of a climbing team right now and it's like, like if you think of Brad Hilbert's team, uh, the team that Virginia came from. Okay. Yeah. Uh, like really well put together, you know, training regiments. I'm sure they do strict like nutrition discussions with their kids, like going to nationals, going to regional, like all of these things are so lined out. At that point, like really, in all honesty, when I was competition climbing at that time, it was just like a few 
people in the climbing community in Southern Massachusetts. And the guy who owned the gym was like, Hey, do you want to coach these kids? And really they were just like coaching me. Hmm. There was a, that sounds a little weird to say, but there was like a couple of people who were interested, but nobody really like latched on to climbing. Hmm. And they, like I latched onto them. Like I just wanted to be just like they, hmm. they were, you know? Hmm. So I got an interesting perspective from that. Like they weren't hyper-focused on the competitions. It was just like, um, a venue for climbing, you know, I definitely like didn't get along with a lot of the comp kids. I was still like, had that punk attitude that I brought to the, to the competitions and really would just hang out. This guy's name was Dave Jasome. He definitely like formed part of who I am and the way I climb and the way I think about it. One of the coaches. Yeah. This dude, Dave Jasome, he, I don't really know if he even climbs anymore. I think he just is a golf pro now. Like golf, he's like a golf coach, but he, he had that like hard new England mentality of like, he wasn't like, Oh, let's talk about like why you didn't do well on the route or whatever. He'd be like, no, you just need to, you just need to try harder and stop being scared. Huh? And that, that worked for me because I was a, skater and like Hmm. you don't just like get away with things when you're skating you know there's no room for like emotion in skating Hmm. or like there is but it's usually in the form of anger you know Hmm. and nothing else (laughs) and so he really did he did a really good job of like pushing me the right way and so anyways he was like my mentor for a long time then i went to college and I was just a climber. Mm. Like I just like bouldered a lot and climbed at Rumney and sport climbed and didn't really think much about it. And I was totally that person who thought like going to the gym was for the bros. Like, really? Oh yeah, totally. Like (laughs) all of my homies in, in college, they would go to the gym on like Friday night and they'd get pumped up before we'd go out and party. And I was just like, wow, you got, that seems like such a waste of time. Why would you go into the gym? Do you mean, do you mean specifically weight gym or also climbing gym? Uh, weight gym. Weight gym. Yeah, for got sure. It. I would climb in a climbing gym, but, yeah, yeah. um, never picked up weights. Wasn't my thing. Yeah. Thought it was silly. Yeah. And so fast forward, actually freshman year, one of like the first month freshman year of college, I met Charlie Mangos, Charlie Manganello, but we'll just call him Charlie Mango. <laughs> I met his older brother, Mike. Okay. Who's also a climber. Okay. And like Mike loves bouldering. He has sport climbed a little bit, but he heard that I was into bouldering. He's like, oh, you want to go bouldering sometime? Super friendly dude. Like Charlie, friendliest guy you'll ever meet. Mike, friendlier. Hmm. So yeah, we just like climbed a lot together throughout college. A lot, a lot. Like I knew Charlie's entire family before I knew him. Wow. Like I knew his parents super well before I knew Charlie. You okay. Know? And, uh, like I would sleep at their house, that kind of, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so anyways, Mike one time was like, oh yeah, my brother's this climbing coach. He lives in Lander. Like I had no idea what that meant. And, uh, actually funny story. The first time I ever swung a kettlebell was with Mike and he was like, oh, I bought this 50 pound kettlebell. Uh, you should come over my house after climbing and we'll do a little strength session in the backyard. And, uh, we went to his house and he like showed me how to swing. I don't even remember what he did. You know, he's like, Oh, you just go like this. And I was like, I don't know, man, that (laughs) seems like pretty crazy. 
<laughs> and he looked at me and he was like, Lizzie can do it. That's like, that's Charlie's twin actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Charlie's a triplet. And, Whoa. uh, so yeah, his twin sister, Lizzie, he was like, dude, you can do this. Lizzie can do it. And I was like, okay. And I swung the bell and as the bell came down, it dragged me face first into the ground. <laughs> Like straight over the bell, like falling over your handlebars or something, face first into the grass. And I was like, well, sick, I'm never going to do that again. Like, why would I do that? Yeah. But anyways, graduated from college and I was hanging around Rumney and my buddy Timmy D, Tim DeRone, who's a guy I just spent a lot of time climbing with in New England. He goes to Yosemite every year and is like really good overall rock climber but he's also a really good trad climber and big wall climber Mm -hmm. and uh we were hiking up to the cliff one day and he was talking about how he can't find a partner to go to the valley and try this route and i was like i could go with you i don't know anything about trad climbing but like i have the time i'm i'd be psyched to go with you but like i don't know how to trad climb and he was like oh it's fine it's easy you could totally do it and i was like okay sure whatever and then literally from that point on, we started formulating this plan to go to the valley and try this route called the Premier, mm. which if you don't know what that is, do you know what that is? I do actually. Um, but yeah, go ahead and yeah, share for... Yeah. So the Premier is, um, it's like a 13C route on El Cap. Uh, I just talked to Mike Kersner about it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. What did he have to say about it? Uh, lots of things. I would love to listen yeah, to that. Yeah, he climbed oh, it with Sam Elias. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's an amazing route. Cool. Amazing and like very seldom done. I guess it's seen like maybe ten cents now or something. But comparative to the free rider, it's like you know, free rider gets done like once a season yeah. or twice a season. But anyways, I don't know anything about trad climbing, <laughs> let alone big wall climbing. And that's the style of Timmy. He's like, oh, psh, whatever, dude, you can do it. And um I kind of like along the planning process had this realization of like, oh my God, I'm like so weak. It doesn't even like, I can't even fathom actually doing this Hmm. in the sense of the toiling, like that sort of stuff. No, like, yeah, yeah. Like I, I just physical human weak me Hmm. Hmm. like, sure. I can rock climb and climb hard or whatever, but, um, on bolts, Hmm. but I like had no capacity. I hauling, even with the training, I still couldn't haul, you know? You're aware of this just in the prep stage. Totally. Yeah, and okay. so I, I reached out to Charlie and I was like, hey man, <laughs> I'm friends with your brother. We met a couple times. I heard you're a coach. Like, would you want to coach me? Hmm. And I was like, I'll pay you whatever you need to be paid. That's not a problem. Like, it's not like I'm rich or anything, but I respect what you do. And like, I'm happy to like work out whatever payment we, we can. And uh, he was like, yeah, sure. Whatever sounds great went through the whole process and i think he would like freely admit this at the time he i didn't know this but like you could i suppose you could consider me a high level climber at that time okay and he was like you were the first like actual high level rock climber i had ever even thought about training and so Hmm. he was like admittedly pretty nervous about it but i had no idea because i didn't know anything about training yeah it didn't matter what kind of level were you climbing at at that time uh 13 plus okay yeah pretty consistently yeah and um which is not like super crazy or anything but um yeah like double digit boulders 13 plus routes pretty frequently and um so i was like 
okay, but I don't know anything about climbing, uh, about training. And so like, how can I learn? And he, he was like, yeah, you know, it'd be best if you could actually like come out here and do some hands-on stuff. And my girlfriend and I, Jess and I, at the time, we were just about to start the road trip. And so I was like, screw it. I'll come out to Lander and do a couple of days of training with you. And no big deal. Why not? And so I did. We drove out here in the middle of the winter, which was terrible. <laughs> terrible experience in a like super old van in the middle of the winter. Wyoming in the middle of the winter is terrible to drive in. <laughs> and uh, so we get here. It's freezing cold, but we're psyched. At least I am. And uh, we slept in Charlie's driveway in the van. And we did like two full days of training hmm. um, at the gym. Taught me how to lift kettlebells. Taught me how to swing kettlebells. Taught me how to like understand what strength training was and how it worked. And, you know, like what climbing training was and how all that worked. And laid out this program for me. And we were going to move to Durango, Colorado. And so we did. We did go down from there. But it was like one of the most inspiring experiences I've ever had hmm. in terms of like climbing preparation. And also, of course, I was like, okay, this is going to help me somehow climb El Cap. <laughs> I still yet did not know that like it actually, it would help me physically, but like I still didn't really know how to trad climb and still didn't totally understand that concept of like specificity uh, you know <laughs> anyways how long out were you planning for this l cap trip oh dude like a couple of months like okay. not that long okay yeah totally like yeah. let's see that was in january and we were going to the to the valley in may okay so like not that long okay but i will say the the plan and he was like pretty specific he's like you know we can get you stronger i can't make you a better trad climber and a friend of mine down in durango really helped me like learn how to climb well and how to think about traditional climbing, placing gear and stuff. But I kind of just learned on the fly. Yeah. On El Cap. Yeah. <laughs> which I wouldn't really recommend for a lot of people. <laughs> it was super scary. Yeah. I had a lot of moments of just being like, what am I doing and huh. how am I allowed to do this, you know? <laughs> and Timmy is like, that dude is the man. Like, Awesome. I think a lot of my ability to adapt up there is because of him, you know, like he's like, here's the rack. It's your lead. Like, figure it out, man. <laughs> and like, fortunately I had this strength to do it. Okay. And it was from that point, it was just a skill component. Yeah. And a little bit of luck for sure. But there was like ripping gear and like falling and. <laughs> not doing a lot of the hauling because our haul bags weighed like twice as much as I did, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so he did a lot of the grunt work, admittedly, but, and we spent a whole month on the route. How'd it go? Uh, we did not send, but it okay. went really well. Nice. And then we went back another season and did not send, but again, it went really well. Okay. And a lot of that I would attribute to me, the la my lack of track climbing experience, you mm. know? I bet if I was just like dialed on everything, we'd Maybe we could have done it, you know, but we were also climbing it in the spring. And so it took two seasons for us to really like get kicked in the face with the weather and be like, mm, maybe we need to come here in the fall mm. and do it then. Do you have plans to go back? Um, Timmy's actually going to go back in the fall this year, 
but I don't think he's going to get on the premier. Mm. I can't really speak totally for what he's going to do. We, of course, have long-term plans to go back, but I need to improve as a as a big wall climber, multi, multi-pitch trad climber before I go back. Gotcha. Which I have, for sure. Yeah. No doubt. But I'm... Like, I would like to go back to the valley and be, like, a shoo-in that it's going to happen, you know? Yeah, totally. It's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> and haven't already spent two months on the route, you know? So I'm guessing from that point, you know, you're getting sold on strength training to the extent that now you're a strength coach. Yeah. I'm sure it wasn't just that, okay, I want to be able to climb El Cap and I'm not strong enough. So I'm, yeah. I'm assuming you saw tons of well, other benefits. Totally. So, like, the funniest thing was, like three weeks into training and I was like, whoa, I feel a difference in my ability to perform like just physically, right? Like my, of course, physiologically, you're not going to see like actual changes in three weeks, but neurologically things were changing Mm. and like three month build. And just before I went to the Valley, I was like climbing the hardest routes I'd ever climbed in my life, like first or second try Wow! and climbing V10s like flashing v10s wow outside and i i was like whoa this is like and and admittedly that's not like the most incredible thing in the world but for me at the time i was just like okay this is real yeah like this (laughs) This is working makes a lot of sense Hmm. and then we didn't totally love where we were living at the time and uh we came up to lander and decided that we liked this place and it was a beautiful community and so we picked up our stuff and had the opportunity to move. And that's how I got actually my foot in the door at the gym, mm. which was like, Charles like, Hey man, front desk jobs opening up. Mm. Do you want to work at the front desk and pull towels? And I was like, yeah, totally. <laughs> and it's funny because even at that point, I didn't really even know who Steve was. Oh really? Yeah. Not at all. Like <laughs> I, I think I saw like a climb strong blog back in the day. I was just talking to Charlie about this, but maybe I saw something about it, but I'm sure I looked at, I'm sure I looked at like the title and said something about training. And I was like, I don't care about that. (laughs) And, uh, so I still didn't even really know Steve at the time of just working at the front desk. Cause like front desk employees don't really have a ton of overlap with the coaches that work there Mm -hmm. or as much as you would think. And so I bet I worked there for like a couple of months and I started to get to know them and, then finally Steve or, or what, it, what really ended up happening was Charlie was like, Hey, you should think about making your own program. Like try to try for, to for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He was like, you should try to coach yourself. Hmm. And so I was like, all right. And he gave me some resources and I did some reading and then I was like writing my own programs and it was working. And then that turned into like Steve just being like, Hey, you should shadow this class that I'm teaching tomorrow night at five thirty. And I was like, okay, sure. And uh, then I shadowed a couple classes and that turned into me like teaching a couple classes and like covering for some coaches, which turned into me having my own couple of classes and then taking a few certifications and then like, like, yeah, just like falling into a personal training career or job rather, but still also working at the front desk. And then that translated to working for Climbstrong. Hmm. That that's really where that's really the sequence of events. Like 
I could have easily said no to any of those things. Mm -hmm. And I had no intention at any point along the line of being like, ah, yeah, I want to be a climbing coach. (laughs) Never once was I like, yes, this is my calling. Yeah. It just happened. Yeah. Unfolded. Yeah. And of course there's like right place, right time kind of thing. Yeah. And like the willingness to be vulnerable and whatever, but I think I was just like kind of ignorant. I was just like, sure, whatever. Yeah. Um, And then once the climb strong thing happened, once Steve was like, you should pick out a couple of friends and and coach them for free and and see what that's all about and see how you do and train them in person and build them up for some kind of progression. Once that started happening, it, it went uphill pretty fast. Like, as far as your interest or yeah totally yeah i was like whoa okay like i see how this helped me and i see how it's helping my friends and i i'm starting to see all of these other people at the cliff and going like you know what like you could benefit from some kind of structured thought around Mm. climbing doesn't have to be like training is has such a funny connotation now you know yeah it's just like why don't you think about the route a little bit differently? Or like, maybe you should warm up before you do the route or something, you know, like (laughs) something just structured. Mm. And so I started seeing that like all of these people that we climb with all the time could benefit from some of that. And I was like, Whoa, I feel like I could help this way. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah. And it just kind of evolved from there. Cause Steve's not Steve. He is like a creative dude. You know, he's like always looking for ways to, help out the climbing community and make the training community better and, and build coaching in a better way, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel pretty fortunate to be just like, you know, it's like Steve and Ellen and Charlie and myself, and there are a few other people on the team, but it could have easily been somebody else in my position Mm. of like, just the, the next guy or next girl woman who's working under Steve and, getting some ideas from him you know mm-hmm. that's cool yeah it's it was great there's been an interesting theme this weekend and you and i you and charlie and i were standing around talking the other night about this idea of like losing the plot you know like it's there's so much excitement and enthusiasm around climbing training now and so much more information the challenge nowadays for a lot of people is that they're overly strong they're not actually climbing enough you know no doubt. like gone that other way yeah and I've already talked about that a few different times with Jonathan sure. and with Ken and things. Yeah. But it's it's interesting to talk to someone like you that came from a strong climbing background, at least strong sport climbing, strong, yeah. strong bouldering background, and then integrated the strength and leveled up pretty quickly from yeah. that. Yeah. And it'd be interesting to dig into like what are some of the the key areas that you were weak? Yeah. Maybe some of the key exercises that you think have like helped you most. Yeah. And then I'm also curious have you worked with more athletes like that? Like strong, really sound technical climbers who just need a little bit of strength to help them, you know, break a plateau or get to the next level or whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, let's start with you. For, like what, yeah. was it, what was it for you that really seemed to make the biggest difference? What were you I, lacking? Well, I think for one, I was lacking discipline, hmm. like just a discipline of, in thinking about your climbing outside, you know, like not just going outside and like projecting every day, you know, Mm. like I didn't even know what that was. Right. Like 
I was like, no, you just go out and you climb on the thing that you're struggling with until you send it. And then you do that again. Mm-hmm. And so I think like structure outside helped me a lot. Like mixing uh, volume in wise. second tier days. Or... Second tier was huge. Like, you know, Steve talks a lot about, we talk a lot about the second tier realm, you know, just a couple of grades below your limit and something that's going to really like push you mentally and push your ego quite a bit. Mm. It's really easy to like not climb on second tier because it doesn't look that cool (laughs) but really nobody cares about you you know so like don't have to totally worry about that but like anyways like second tier really helped me trying to like you know jonathan's talking about like focusing on the sending it's like trying to focus on building a large base of like things that are just hard enough that push me just enough to like actually try hard I think that um, those and like volume days outside where you're just climbing things that you might never even think about climbing again, you're like, well, I've done that 5.11 before. Why do I need to repeat it, you know? Or have like climbed that 5.12 before. Why do I need to try to do six of those in a day? Hmm. I think that was really helpful for capacity. I think I hmm. lacked in that quite a bit. But in terms of like strength training in the gym, I think like the kettlebell swing was really helpful for me. Hmm variations of the kettlebell swing single arm i know charlie deadlifts a lot were you doing that as well or more swings um i was deadlifting a lot and this is a this is going to be a total aside okay but um i was deadlifting a lot i was swinging a lot swinging a lot a lot and i have a chronic back injury okay that i got in 2012 in college sophomore year of college and so all of my discs from l5 to my sacrum are bulging damn um how did you do that uh so i i went to this bouldering competition at the local gym in concord new hampshire and uh i was like 10 minutes into the comp and i was topping out this boulder and it's like this big wave and you top out this bulge in my i was like basically standing on the top of the boulder I bet it was like 12, maybe 15 feet. And my hands just like boop popped off. And I opened up and no one was spotting me. Not that they had to, but just it happened that nobody was there. And I missed the like foam pad on top of the floor. And I landed like heels first on the floor, stiff leg. I basically like kissed my shins with my face. Oh, dude. Fell on my back. I, then I couldn't get up. I couldn't stand up. <laughs> oh, man. It was crazy. Like, I, like, hit the floor. And what's even funnier is, like, I had this trip to the red planned in the in the spring. Yeah. And the, my, I, like, hit my face off my shins. And the first thing that went through my head was, like, oh, I, I'm not going to be able to go to the red now. <laughs> and I was in so much pain. And that was the only thing I was focusing on. But this dude came over, did assessment on me. And then he was, like, okay, get up. And I couldn't get up. Hmm. Like, it wasn't like it was too painful to get up or anything. I just, like, couldn't get off the ground. And so they had to call the ambulance and backboard, go to the hospital, ride in the the ambulance, the whole thing. Yeah, man. And, uh, yeah, it sucked. And then I was, like, kind of in a wheelchair for a little while at my college house. And then I, like, got better. But the thing is that they... 
at the hospital, they never, they just like took x-rays and they were like, oh, you didn't break anything. You're fine. Hmm. Sent me home. And, uh, I lived about maybe 45 to 50 minutes away from the hospital. And like, I cried, I was in pain in so much pain the whole ride home that I was just like, I could barely even breathe, you know, just like Mm. crying the whole time and, uh, couldn't stand up. I couldn't, I probably couldn't stand up straight for like two weeks, you know? Whoa. And in hindsight, you're going like, oh my God, like there's something wrong with you, dude. Yeah. But I never really got it checked out. Yeah. Just did some physical therapy for a little while and I like kind of got better. And I could keep my shit together, relatively speaking. But I would like get up to this really high level of performance or training and then I would hurt myself. Mm. And I did that on a yearly basis Hmm. for eight years until last year. Okay. This past year is the first year that I've been 12 months uninjured. With a back injury. With the back thing. Wow. I would basically like ramp up, climb well for like, I don't even know, three weeks. Yeah. And then I would hurt myself and I'd be couch ridden for like two weeks. Hmm. And I would go on that cycle for a really long time. And it wasn't until I set a goal of not being injured for a year <laughs> that I wasn't injured for wow. a year. Wow. Like it was, it's so funny being a coach and coaching people around injuries or with injuries or not to get injured and yet have one for yourself and not even be able to see in the mirror of what you're doing wrong. Mm. And nobody could tell me different, you know, Mm. like I just had to figure that out for myself the hard way, the very Mm. hard, like the eight year way. (laughs) And so it's only been this year that I've actually been able to like push a little bit more, but so like I was swinging a lot. I was deadlifting a lot. That was really great. I really think like the energy system stuff that I was doing initially was really, really formative for me. Okay. Like intensive endurance type work, extensive endurance type work, like mainly just like moving on a bouldering wall for an extended period of time with appropriate rest intervals. Doing like linked boulders? Yeah. Yeah. Doing like, doing like linked boulder problems back to back to back for like 10 minutes or something with like resting in between each boulder. That's like what we call intensive endurance. You know, I was just like one of those guys who could try super hard one time and that was it, you know? Mm. But lots of times I would just like get it done in the one try and not really think about it. Mm -hmm. And so I think doing a lot of the energy systems work was really helpful for me. Okay. Um, a lot of, body weight like single arm push-ups and learning how to pistol squat that was really helpful for Mm. me i Um, derailed you a little bit with the kettlebells you were saying swings and you started to say some other one arm exercises oh yeah like one arm one arm swings okay one arm cleans okay snatches like kettlebell snatches lots of like explosive work um unilateral explosive work where you have to like you end up having to have it be real core intensive so the bell's not throwing you around mm. but you still have to so display that power in your yeah. face in the in the grass yeah to- totally <laughs> so you don't let the bell take it take you to the ground yeah um but uh again like a lot of that kettlebell work was super good for me but it also hurt me because i wasn't i didn't respect it you know? oh interesting yeah okay i didn't respect the work i didn't respect the rest that i needed for my back Mm. But I also didn't know what was wrong with my back mm. at the time. Like I didn't get, I didn't get an MRI or anybody to look inside for six, seven years, maybe mm-hmm. just dealt with it, you know, but I think like pistol squatting 
and like single arm kettlebell work was really helpful for me. Hmm. Like pretty weak in the legs for the most part, like in in terms of like specificity of like single leg work, you know, we're doing that stuff all the time climbing wise. And so being able to like work that in the gym and then being able to see like direct relationships from that to like actual climbing in like whatever dynamic movements or rocking over tiny holds or whatever. And then I was kind of just enhancing my superpower, which is like being able to be explosive because I'm a pretty short dude Mm -hmm. and it's like more power or more strength, you know, Mm. like you don't get any more excuses, right? It's (laughs) like, those are the things you got to work on. And so just building more, I think like, single arm power for me was was really helpful with the kettlebell stuff okay yeah do you gravitate towards more of that unilateral stuff with your athletes versus like versus like doing front squats and deadlift um i think i think the interesting answer or the unfortunate answer is that it just really depends on what the goals of the athlete are okay and and like what their prior experience is um I really enjoy utilizing all of it, really, but that's a very vague answer. But, like, I like to program for athletes, like, if they have the availability for bilateral stuff or using a barbell, I love being able to use some kind of external implement such as the barbell to be able to display strength and power or, like, tension, you know. Like, I love giving athletes a zercher squat or, Mm. like, a zercher rack hold. Mm-hmm. You, we, you familiar with that that is a little bit yeah but yeah will you describe what that is totally. it's like when your arms are crossed in front um on the bar well so you can do like a crossed arm front squat okay racked up on your shoulders mm-hmm. instead of like lots of climbers have like pretty crappy shoulder mobility or like wrist mobility to get up into a front squat yeah i like well literally can't get in the position so you so you throw your arms in a cross position and like put it up on your shoulder right okay well zercher squat is really fascinating because it you rack it in at your chest and so you rack the bar right crooks of your elbows okay and it requires a ton of core strength and back strength to just stand upright Hmm. with the zercher squat right because when you're holding it when you're front squatting you can just rest the bar on your shoulders Mm -hmm. but when you zercher squat and you put the bar in between your the crooks of your elbows it wants to fall out of your arms. Mm-hmm. And so you have to actively hold that there. So you're kind of in like a the finished position of like a bicep curl. Exactly. And you're holding the barbell across your elbows. Crushing the barbell in between in your elbows and the crooks of your elbows. And it's not comfortable. Like, yeah. If you think about like <laughs> holding a relatively heavy weight for your squat in your arms yeah. like that, it can be uncomfortable. I mean, you could put a towel there or whatever, but... I think it gives you a little bit of grit when you do it okay. like, on the skin. Anyways, I really love that. Even if you were just like, I'm not comfortable rolling through a full range of motion squat with that in your arms, you could do like a zercher rack hold um, and just unrack the bar and stand there with super heavy weight. Mm. And it's like compressing your rib cage. So it's challenging to breathe. You have to stay upright. Your posture has to stay good form or you're going to dump the bar on the ground Hmm. and it's ends up being like fighting some kind of like overhanging terrain on the wall where Hmm. you're just like 
constantly fighting to keep your hips in and your chest at the wall, you hmm. know, or you could like walk around with the bar, make it even harder. Hmm. So you don't necessarily have to squat. But I also think that like, what's so cool about the goblet squat is that folks who have like, they are challenged with their range of motion in a front squat or a back squat, or, um, you can put them in a goblet squat and that the weight is a good counterbalance for them. Mm-hmm. And it, the weight is like, moving through their system and not like really loading axially like loading on top of their spine right okay and so it's a little bit easier to squat that way and so the zercher squat actually ends up being very similar to the goblet squat interesting just a little bit different right Uh uh-huh you could probably go heavier with it um yeah it's funny people actually try to argue against that they say like oh you can't zercher squat as much as you could like front squat or back squat right but that's just probably because they haven't done it enough you know mm. there are plenty of examples of people zercher squatting just as much if not more than they front squat or back whoa squat. yeah wild but it takes some resilience right yeah like, you need some serious torso strength like total body tension core strength mm-hmm. and back muscles right like mm. it really works your back muscles your extensors your ability to be able to stand tall and not buckle in the bottom position um mm. so and you don't need a rack to what's cool about the zercher is if you get proficient at it or whatever, you don't need a rack to get it up into your arms. Okay. You can like load it up onto your thighs and like get your arms under there and stand up with it. Okay. It's really interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, I think it's got a lot of applicability to, to climbing. Interesting. It, it sounds like, yeah, I can like kind yeah. of imagine it's hard the, undercling moves and, and right? tension. Yeah. Totally. And it's the same reason we like to, I mean, we'd like to program front squatting a lot for people because it requires a lot of torso stability and core strength, more core strength than it is going to require somebody to back squat. Um, just in the thought of like staying upright. We also program that stuff cause it's easy to get away from a front squat, you mm. know, but in terms of safety, just to dump the bar and dump it, the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can dump it easier. It's, okay. it's a little bit more straightforward. Dump a, dump a front squat than it is a back squat. But, like in that same light, the Zercher squat is just like a more intense version of the front squat. Hmm. Um, and so huh. I really, to go back to the beginning, like I really like to do that, do like a lot of bilateral movements, especially with athletes who are new to like using a barbell or something. And then once they get really good at that, or when we're getting more and more, uh, getting closer to in-season type work, then we can start really going into bilateral, uh, unilateral work. Okay single arm push-ups, single arm overhead press. There's more specificity there. Totally. Yeah. You can, you can really see like a linear improvement from one to the other. Hmm. And like, you know, as you're getting closer to sending or getting closer to in-season work, like having that unilateral stuff is in there ends up being really helpful because it's not very often we're moving with both our legs at the same time Mm -hmm. and both our arms at the same time. Sure. Yeah. But Another thing to consider is like, as climbers, we typically have like pretty crappy overhead mobility for the Mm. most part and doing like a bilateral overhead press, military press, like barbell press can be really challenging Mm. in terms of mobility issues. Yeah. Yeah. So giving somebody the chance to put something up overhead that's heavy or heavy for them with a kettlebell makes all the world a difference, right? Because you're, you're not limited by the lack of mobility from one arm. Um, inhibiting the other arm Mm. and so 
you can work into like better range of motion with the kettlebell and things like that. Yeah. And I've heard a lot of coaches describe the offset nature of the kettlebell kind of helps your shoulder get into that like packed position. For sure. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. But I just think I, I it always is going to depend on what the athlete wants, you know, mm-hmm. like a lot of that, especially around the COVID times, right? Like people are like, Oh, I don't have anything. Mm. And as people learn from the training camp this weekend, like, you don't need anything. Hmm. You just need you. And I'm a definitely a big proponent of body weight exercises. Okay. I, I would say that's where my strengths lie as a coach. Interesting. In okay. terms of like applying body weight strength to training for climbing. I don't think it's superior. I think everything holds its own on the scale, right? Hmm. Doesn't really matter what you do, it matters that you do it long enough that it makes a change for you. But I do think it's helpful for climbers to know that like they don't need a full full fledged gym to yeah train themselves well and get stronger, you know? So as far as that goes, like pistol squats come to mind, mm-hmm. maybe like one arm push up progressions. Totally. What what else um, are you having people do at home? So like as a progression of a pistol squat or just its own exer- its own exercise in and of itself, things like single leg deadlifting. Okay. Um as funny as it sounds. And I honestly, to be totally honest, I had to like let my opinions of handstand pushups be let go. You know, okay. it's like, seems like a very CrossFit thing. You see like a lot of CrossFit people doing okay. handstand pushups and things like that and like kicking into them and all these things. Mm-hmm. However, you can like progress and regress what would be called the handstand pushup mm-hmm. and have it be tremendously hard and you don't actually have to be like in a handstand on a wall hmm. you know it's can, a complex way to explain what it would be like but can be you like, give some examples of some progressions for that totally it would be like if you got on a bench okay. or let's say we're just using this couch that i'm sitting on like if i got on the couch with my knees on the couch and then put my hands on the floor mm-hmm. and put my hands like stacked under my shoulders put your head on the floor right in between your hands and the goal would be to like stack the load over your shoulders so stack your body weight over your shoulders okay rather than being in this like arched position where you're just kind of like the only weight that's on your arms is your shoulders to your head so maybe you kick your butt up in the air your knees are still on the couch but your butt and hips are above your shoulders or you could be on your feet your feet could be on the couch okay and you're essentially doing what would be like a tricep extension, mm. so pressing into the floor. It would be, it's like the body weight version of an overhead press, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that becomes incredibly hard when you really load it, right? And um, I think the progressions and regressions of the handstand push up are really effective. I'll try to get some videos think, and. Yeah, totally. Maybe we can. A, yeah, yeah, for sure. That's something with you and we can put it in the show notes. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Um, it was really funny. Like when I, when I went to the strong first bodyweight certification a couple of years ago, Yeah. you know, in the manual, they're like, and handstand pushups. And I'm like, oh man, I don't want to learn about that. <laughs> yeah. And I was totally humbled by it. Like, wow. Cool. I was, I was t- humbled by the whole experience actually. I'm like, oh, I'm a rock climber. I can like do whatever I want with my body weight, you know, like <laughs> look at me, ego, ego, you know? And I got there and they're men and women like so much bigger than I am, you know, in terms of like 
body mass, like just their lifting weights is their thing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, had all these preconceived notions of what they could and couldn't do with Mm -hmm. their body. And I was just so thoroughly impressed with what, Hmm. like the mobility, body control and strength that you can get from just doing body weight exercises, Hmm. being able to like hone in on tension techniques and plugging up energy leaks in your, in your body. Like, you know, the most common thing we see is people's glutes, right? Like, like spend all the time you want deadlifting or climbing or doing pistol squats. The biggest energy leak we see is people not being able to use their glutes, which is one of the strongest muscles in your body. Hmm. One of the biggest neural drivers. Hmm. And so I think one of the things that body weight strength training can teach you is how to use all of your systems at the same time in the most efficient way you can to make you as strong as you can be. Hmm. Interesting. Right. Cause you don't have like an external force pressing against you. Right. Like right. when you pick a heavy barbell up off a bench rack and you like got to press the bar away from your body, you've got this thing in your head. Like I need to get this bar up off of me or it's going to fall on me. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when you're doing like a single arm push up or a two arm push up, sure. You could like go through the motions and make it easy and just say to yourself like, Oh, this is easy. Why do I need to do this? But when you add in tension to it and create difficulty with your own strength, with your own weight by like maximally contracting all of the muscles that you have, hmm. then it becomes a challenge. Hmm. And I, I just think that's like a step that people can miss, you hmm. know, mm-hmm. again, I don't think it's the end all be all, but hmm. um, I do think it's really helpful, especially cool. like climbers are so transient, you know? Like, yeah. And current events, gyms are open, gyms are closed, gyms are open, totally. gyms are closed. And so it would be really helpful, you know, for some people to go like, you know what? Well, I don't need a barbell. Or yeah. I don't need a kettlebell. Um, I had a season a few years ago where I was rehabbing a finger injury uh-huh. and I couldn't do any barbell work for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did a six week one arm push up program. Oh yeah. And by the end of it, I could do like five singles, one arm, one leg. Yeah. And I don't know if my core tension has like ever been better than that. Right. It was totally. fascinating. <laughs> it right. Was, it was really interesting. Right. Because you take a, you take an arm and a leg off the ground Yeah. and what happens? You fall over. Like <laughs> you're like, Oh my God, how do I, how do I manage the stability component of this? Yeah. Your glutes and your core, hmm. you know, and what, what more applicable exercise than to like linking opposite arm, opposite leg of climbing, right? Like mm. we're always doing that. Mm-hmm. You're always like pulling with your left leg and locking off with your right hand and reaching with your left arm, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like very much similar to one arm one, like push-ups, mm-hmm. which are just so hard. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, They're so, so hard. It's it, Again, I couldn't like speak more highly of my experience with the body weight strength certification for Strong First. Like, the folks that were there are just like the strongest people I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) That's awesome. Like I have this image of this like 300 pound dude, like repping out one arm, one leg pushups and me just being like, Whoa, man, I can't even do one right now. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Like the (laughs) amount of body control that you have. Yeah. Cause that's what you go. You watch somebody who's so good at rock climbing. You're like, God, they have really good body control. Mm-hmm. You know, like they understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. I think that's another thing that body weight strength training teaches people, hmm. which is like body awareness and control. When am I tight? When am I not? Oh, I lost at that time. I, I wasn't like tensing in my core or mm-hmm. I wasn't squeezing my fists, you know? 
subtle changes in that kind of like those kinds of tension techniques are really helpful for climbing. Mm. And I think that's been really helpful for me, you know, especially with my back. Like I can't, it's hard for me to like overload. I got to go really slow. Okay. What are you working on right now with your own training? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So in relation to not being injured, (laughs) right, I spent the last 12 to 14 months just trying to not be injured, which is really challenging (laughs) because you go like, we live in this like somewhat mecca of sport climbing Yeah, and everybody in Lander climbs super hard all the time Hmm. for the most part. And so it's really challenging to be around your peers and be like, God, everybody's just sending and I'm still climbing whatever, you know, not as hard as I want to be. But I had to continuously remind myself like, nope, you don't get to deadlift yet. Hmm. Or like, you don't get to swing a kettlebell yet. And actually for a long time, I was like, I bet I'll never do those again. Hmm. Like there was a period in time, maybe a year ago, year and a half ago, where I was like, I bet I will never pick a kettlebell up. Uh, for the purposes of my own training again. Mm. But in achieving the goal of not being injured for 12 months, I was like, okay, I'll see what it's like to pick up a, pick up a barbell. And were you focused more on body weight strength stuff in that time? At the time? Yeah, okay. totally. Yeah. Body weight strength training, um, basically like partial pistols, single arm pushups. Even to that point, it was too much, too much tension on my back. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of mobility lots of core strength. I couldn't speak more highly about the uh, guy named Stuart McGill. Okay. Ever heard of Stu McGill? I have. He's like the godfather of back health. Okay. Okay. He's written like a few different books on, on back health and, and spine health. Okay. Um, the back mechanic would be like the lay person's book for, okay. for back health and, and trying to self-diagnose back injuries. I'll share that in the show notes. Yeah, for cool. sure. I mean, he is the guy, you know, mm. like no offense. You go like, who's the guy for strength training uh, or climbing training? Steve Bechtel. Mm-hmm. You go like, who's the guy to fix somebody's back? Stuart McGill. Mm. And so it took me like reading that book like three or four times. And then I read all of his other books like two or three times and going like, okay, I need to be really disciplined about this one thing. And that was really just doing his core strengthening exercises, which are a variation of a few different like traditional core exercises Hmm. and like really things that seem really silly, like forcing myself to walk for 15 minutes, speed walk for 15 minutes, three times a day Okay. while swinging my arms like an idiot. Like, (laughs) yeah, like it's really hard to get people to do those kinds of things, even yourself. And so I had to be just super disciplined in that light. It was like, oh, my my training regimen is speed walking and <laughs> core exercises that uh-huh. are that you might think of like a, I don't even know, like a Zumba class to do or something, you know. But that was that was my goal. That came out of one of his books. Oh yeah, yeah. totally. Interesting. There, it's called huh. the, it's called the McGill Big Three. Okay. It's this exercise called the modified curl up which is like a shortened version of what could end up being a sit-up. Okay. Basically, it's like a power crunch. Like you just pressurize your core, lift your head and shoulders up off the ground, hold it for however many seconds, and then come back down. Um, there's more specifics to it, but that's pretty basic. Then variations of side planks mm-hmm. and variations of the bird dog exercise, which is a back extensor exercise. Mm. 
and then you progress that to like suitcase carries the curl up never changes and um various different types of dumbbell rows okay super boring yeah yeah (laughs) and speed walking and speed walking the speed walking (laughs) thing is hilarious like (laughs) is that a back hell thing totally so so interesting so the interesting thing about speed walking is and we're not talking like setting world records for speed walking we're talking about like a brisk paced walk where you focus on taking longer strides rather than short steps yeah and then the arm swings have to do with relaxing your shoulders and so if you think about your spine in terms of linkage like it's all connected to some degree Mm -hmm. and the speed walking reduces intra-abdominal pressure on your spine Hmm. so it gets your spine to relax and then swinging your arms forces your shoulder like to be able to swing your arms effectively and smoothly in your shoulder and your socket muscles around it essentially have to relax Hmm. so your shoulders relax then that brings tension off your neck and your head and your thoracic spine so your whole spine ends up relaxing i.e reducing pain in your back and tightness Hmm. and so if if you're somebody like myself who has chronic back injury you're constantly battling what your muscles are used to, which is guarding. So they're on all the time. And so that speed walking component or brisk pace walking Mm -hmm. with arm swings (laughs) combats that actively. And, uh, you know, I do it essentially before I do any kind of active stuff. And so, and, uh, that will never leave my life. Wow. Yeah. Like, I spent a lot of time like doing it and then not doing it and getting hurt and then doing it and not doing it and getting hurt. And eventually I was like, okay. Speed walking is here to, here to stay. <laughs> yeah. Speed walking is my thing now. Um, if you want to get better at speed walking, hit me up. Uh, but um, no. So, and then only recently in terms of what I'm doing right now, training wise in the gym, I'm, I'm just barbell overhead pressing and deadlifting. Okay. Yeah. And, Really what I'm trying to do, the goal there is to, A, not focus on too many things, because that's one of the things that I'll struggle with and be like, you know, it just ends up taking a little bit too much of my time, you know, when mm-hmm. you be like, well, I could do searcher squats too, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, well, okay, you just came back of a year of no injury. And so let's hold on to that. And one of the best ways for me to do that is to do less. And I'm also trying to climb hard right now because I have a limited time in Lander. And so I have a few things that I'm trying to like wrap up before I leave in four weeks, mm-hmm. which may or may not happen. And uh, no, it will. Um, <laughs> but uh, That's the spirit. Yeah, totally. And so, so I'm deadlifting from blocks, elevated sumo deadlift. Okay. Yeah. And the range of motion thing for me right now is really important. Like large percentage of injuries from deadlifting come from that like last four inches of range of motion below the knees Mm. or like halfway from, you know, like from the ground Mm -hmm. or setting the bar back down, you know? Interesting. Yeah. And so if you, you pull a deadlift from a block, you can lift a lot more, but you're also decreasing the range of motion, therefore decreasing the likelihood of injury. Of course, you still have to lift with good form and whatever, but that way i'm lifting from blocks i'm giving myself an advantage of like okay i know i'm not gonna like push myself too much there in terms of range of motion issues yeah um when people say deadlifting from blocks are the blocks standard 
thicknesses or is it totally variable? Yeah, I think I think it definitely is going to vary from person to person if they're super into deadlifting. Yeah. But the blocks that we have at the gym are like four inches off the ground. Okay. I think that's pretty standard. Got it. Okay. Like lots of people will, if they don't got blocks, they'll like deadlift from a traditional 45 pound plate. Mm-hmm. It's like about four inches off the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And generally speaking, you probably lift like 10% more than you would lift off the off the floor. Okay. It's also a great way to progress the deadlift for somebody. But deadlift, my primary, the primary things I'm doing in the gym are deadlifting and barbell overhead press. And that has a little bit of a, a goal to it as well. But for the most part, like linkage in terms of full body tension for the overhead press is a really big thing for me. Hmm. Um, and I think it's a really big thing for just overhead pressing in general. You can increase somebody's pressing strength just by... Like, it's funny. You watch somebody press overhead and you're like, okay, now I want you to squeeze your fist, squeeze your butt as hard as you can, mm-hmm. and pretend like I'm going to kick you in the stomach, and I bet they could put five more pounds on their press. Wow, like, yeah. Like, it doesn't really take that, you know, take that much to, like, get somebody stronger at the overhead press in that little bit, the mm-hmm. neurological sense. And so, like, it's a really good teacher for me to go, am I tight everywhere? Can mm-hmm. I press this stuff overhead? Uh, press this barbell overhead and i'm just interested in getting really good at those for right now cool and i think for me like that stuff's also really helpful with the tension stuff in terms of climbing and whatnot any supplemental finger strength stuff right now yeah actually um, i just finished a a a ladder strength program okay so if you're not familiar with hangboard ladders it's um volume-based hangboarding two times a week protocol um, I'll share a link to one of Steve's articles. Yeah, about totally. The yeah. I it's think like, they're brilliant for me. They work really well and I do them in all different lights, but in particular, like a, a route that I'm working on right now has a few holds that I'm not super good at. So like back to, so pinky and ring finger mm. pocket and ironically front two, I'm really bad at as well. Okay. Relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. And so I just did ladder strength protocol for, I just finished four week cycle there. Um, With just those two grips? Just those two grips. Huh. Um, and it's hilarious how, how much better I feel at my back to like wow. the front two is great, whatever. I'm psyched about that. But what's really interesting to me is, is the, and it, it could just be neurological for me, but, um, and frequency for sure. But, uh, basically starting in the first four weeks and not even wanting to lift my feet up off the ground Mm. for like, and for those of you who are listening, like a ladder strength runs where you hang on a grip for three seconds, rest for however long you want, hang for six seconds, rest, hang for nine seconds. And you repeat that in some sort of fashion for like three sets or four sets or five sets. And you Um, build more and more sets of that as the program goes on. Exactly. yeah. Yeah. And so you can do it weighted. You can do it unweighted. You can do body weight. Um, I was just doing body weight. Um, I'm actually going to go back into that cycle on the same two and add about 10% or 20, 10 to 20% of my body weight. Okay. Yeah. However, to point out the difference, like I basically finished out the, the four week cycle and I felt like I could do like, you know, five to 10 pull-ups on my back two mm. rather than not being able to even lift my feet off the ground. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. Anyways, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of keeping it pretty simple, you know, cool. yeah. and I, for those hangboarding that, that works really well for me. Um, 
of course you could always improve on your crimp strength, but that's not something that I'm really concerned with most of the time. Mm -hmm. There's not really many things that give me trouble there. So, um, that seems like your bread and butter. Crimping is my thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Like, yeah, if there's one thing I'm good at in climbing, it's grabbing small halts, (laughs) really sharp ones. Um, but yeah, anyways, um, that and mobility stuff is really important, especially for back health and whatnot. So, okay. Um, but I'm about to maybe like, I'm just on the cusp. I have maybe have like one or two more weeks where I'm like building into a taper right now. Mm. So I can just start to focus on climbing okay. strictly. Cause I would really like to get those few routes done. I want to ask, what are you working on? So I'm just about to wrap up this route on the roadie wave called the highway which is 14b okay and that's kind of like an intermediate goal i'm not too concerned with that which is ironic and maybe egotistical to say because it will be the hardest thing i've ever sent okay but again it's like when you build that fitness on the rodeo wave it's it's all translates pretty well Mm -hmm. but that's not the main goal um the main goal is this route called fibonacci shimmer okay which has an interesting history to it um, it's up at Fossil Hill. Uh, it's 14C. Uh, Jonathan Segrist F8'd it last summer in July. Okay. Which is pretty funny because it's got the, some of the smallest holds I've ever grabbed on rock ever. <laughs> and um, yeah, so he did the first ascent of it last July. And then BJ Tilden did the second ascent of it in the fall. And. I was working on it with him at that point and had been working on it for a little while on and off for a couple of seasons. And then was like, okay, what are the, what's the thing I want to do before I leave? Mm. And it would be that for sure. Awesome. Yeah. And the history behind it is it was the first route that Steve ever bolted in Lander. No way. When he was 21. Oh, well, so so he bolted at the year I was born, actually. So he, <laughs> he bolted in 1992. Okay. And you go up to Fossil and you're like, yeah, look at that. That line looks sick. Hmm. And beautiful black water streak. Got a little bit of like a roof at the bottom, but he just wrapped down, zip, 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 bolted it. And he's like, oh, it'd probably be 512. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's not 512. It's it's pretty hard. And uh, um. It's a gem for sure. Cool. I, I think it's wonderful. It's pretty heinous. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah. I really like that kind of climbing. So sweet. Yeah. Awesome. But I'm not, Lander's not going anywhere. So if it doesn't get done, it's fine. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Uh, what were some of your takeaways from the weekend? Uh, that more than ever, people are psyched about training right now. <laughs> that's like one of the bigger things, right? Like, Lots of times you get together in these certification or like training courses or whatever clinics and you get a lot of the same type of person at the at the clinic, right? They're all interested in pretty much the same iteration of whatever the sport that they're doing, you know. I, I think a lot of the people that came this weekend come from various backgrounds, hmm. competition climbing, strict bouldering, adventure bouldering, um, route development, youth head coaches, um, some trad climbers. Yeah. Some trad climbers, like tons of different backgrounds, all really concerned with the same key concept, which was performance. Mm. And so I thought that was really, really interesting. Mm. Like it wasn't just a room of boulders, right? Yeah. Um, 
So that was really formative for me. I was like, oh, wow, people actually really care about this. Maybe even more than I care about it, you know, like, (laughs) which is great. So I thought that was really, really awesome. One of the really cool things about getting a bunch of people into a room who are really interested in the specifics of performance and training is that everybody has their own ideas about about the performance, right? It's not just like, you know, Jonathan was there this weekend and he is the top performer, but he doesn't have all of the ideas, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Like he, he, it's not the end all be all with what Jonathan does. And don't get me wrong. Like I learned something from what he said. Mm-hmm. I, one of the thing, one of the things that he said as a bystander listening to him, I was like, oh wow, I'm not doing that. Like that, I should be doing that. But I think like really creative ideas can be elicited from a group of people that were there this weekend. And yeah, I think that overall, like, uh, having a group of people be really open to learning new things or learning, like maybe lots of, lots of them knew a lot of the strength exercises or the power exercises they were doing. Cause they're not like, we're not like handing out these like brand new exercises in the strength training world. Cause nothing is really that new. Mm-hmm. It's like Steve's, you know, Steve loves to say, like, somebody invented the push-up. Like, we did not invent that, you know? But uh, really receptive to getting, like, different kinds of feedback. I think that's, like, a really helpful piece. Mm. Another really cool thing for me as a coach to, like, tie everything together for athletes was we did these 30-minute individual meetings at the end of end of the clinic mm-hmm. yeah, for all the athletes. And they met with a few different coaches and wrapping it up for them, you know, going like, okay, these are the things that all of the coaches saw while you were here based on what you're looking to get out of this and what your like future goals are. I think that you would be best served doing, you know, Turkish getups and overhead presses for the next six months. Mm-hmm. Like, you could really benefit from getting really good there. Hmm. Or like here are a few books that you should also read in terms of like performance tactics and things like that. Hmm. Or, you know, I think so often one of the downfalls of, of the certification or clinics that run is like, you're kind of left going like, okay, well, I just like was force fed all of this information and I was able to take a few notes while I was there, but I kind of, I'm still confused, Mm. you know, like no action plan. Yeah, totally. And so being able to give all of the participants an action plan was like, I was like, okay, I feel a lot better about this. Cool. You know, were they all totally different? The action plans? Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Like (laughs) the, you know, some folks it's like, okay. I know that you were talking to Jonathan about finger strength and he's talking about repeaters, but actually that's a little bit too challenging for you right now, Mm. you know, with your experience of hangboarding. And so I really recommend that you just like hangboard for five minutes every other day, you know, Mm. and like hang on the four finger edge, half crimp and they can go like, aha, okay, I'll actually do that. Mm. I've never, I've never like even hangboard before. And so that seems more appealing to me than like, you know, diving right into seven thirteen repeaters, mm-hmm. which is a challenging hangboard cycle to run somebody who's never done that before. It's challenging for Jonathan, mm-hmm. you know, like, so somebody like that, or 
having an action plan for somebody who's like, yeah, you know, like I'm more of a coach and I'm coming at this from a programming perspective and being able to sit down with that person and go like, okay, well, here are a few ways you might outline a group session with these children and like think about teaching them a Turkish getup because that's going to teach your kids body awareness and tension control and breathing control and actually give them a sense of what it means to like have some proprioception rather than just climbing on the wall, you know? Mm -hmm. And especially because the participants were varying ages, Mm -hmm. you know, like a prescription for this gentleman that was there who was 67. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He was 67 years old. Like, yeah. Ken was telling me about what, yeah. What you're going to give to that guy is going to be vastly different than Virginia who is 16 years old, you know? Mm. So I thought that was so good. Hmm. Yeah. It was great for the athletes, I think in terms of learning and experience. And it was really good for, for the presenters and the coaches who were there. I know I like, I learned every single time I do. And I'm relatively new, right. Mm -hmm. As far as like coaching in clinics. And so I, I learned like systems, different, better systems every time. Listen to other coaches, you know, like I think the, conversation like red pointing tactics with jonathan on the end of the first day was the one of the best things we did for Hmm. sure like really engaging he did a really he did a really good job awesome of giving examples and and helpful advice what was that one thing from him that you took away (laughs) i like i heard him say it and i was like oh my god um uh he was he was just drawing attention to the fact that like on his projects, he's never on the hardest things he's ever sent. He's never climbed on them on the first day and done all the moves, you know, Hmm. which is a hilarious thing for a climbing coach to not realize in their own climbing. Hmm. And like Charlie and I were giggling about it in the back, you know, like I was like, Oh, I've never done that. Like, like if you can't do all the, all the moves the first day, you just move on. No, I've never climbed on something really that I've haven't been able to do the moves on. And so this is interesting. This is an interesting discussion. Is that an ego statement or is it a tactical statement? Right. Because I actually like, I'm, I learned that my tactics are terrible, Hmm. not terrible, but bad. Hmm. Like that told me like, oh yeah, you can do the moves on a route the first time you get on it like you should be able to get it done faster than you are getting Mm. things done right and so Mm -hmm. you're like okay how do you attack that how do you get better at doing like red pointing tactics Mm. you know that was like i was like oh shit okay (laughs) right on uh he's he's a dial dude he's a really dialed guy he's got it down um i really enjoyed listening to the podcast that you did with him oh cool yeah it was great it was really good super informative you know um really really well thought out and he's a articulate dude so it's yeah good, you know yeah he's easy to talk to yeah and i'm psyched i'm psyched at the prospect of there being more of those training camps mm, cool you know yeah like sharing the wealth right and like giving giving athletes the tools because there is a lot of jargon out there you know yeah it's hard to sift through it all these days i imagine when i first came here i was talking to steve about this i think like when i first came out here in 2012 
I was so hungry for information. Mm-hmm. I was just scouring the internet for anything related to climbing training. Mm-hmm. And I came out here because Steve seemed to be the guy that knew the stuff. Mm-hmm. And now it's like you go on Instagram and it's like a fire hose blasting you in the face and mm-hmm. there's way more information than any of, any of us know what to do with. Right. So yeah. Yeah, now it's the opposite problem. The gram. Anybody <laughs> the can gram. <laughs> anybody can make an Instagram account and be a be in anything. Yeah, yeah. They can be in anything. Are you going to continue coaching and being involved with Climbstrong once you move? Totally. Awesome. More involved, you know. Cool. Kind of funny. Like you're going to keep coaching I, in North Carolina? Yeah, totally. Like I'll still I'll still remote coach and and or coach in person with Climbstrong athletes and um you know, I do a lot of a lot of administrative work for Climbstrong. Okay. Um and I manage all the coaches that we bring on and, okay. and work with. And so, um, work with all the coaches one-on-one, uh, you know, assistance with their athletes, um, programming different resources to look through, you know, just like having somebody to lean on to go like, is this the thing, you know, am mm-hmm. I doing this right? Cause it's good to be confident in what you're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the most, not to like, tutor on horn you know mm-hmm. but it's funny when we bring somebody into climb strong as an athlete one of the first things that i talk to them about is like look climb strong is is a collective of coaches it's not just me and it's not just steve and steve doesn't think that he is better than any of us you know mm-hmm. it seems a little funny to have steve asking you if you think that this program is right or this you know, this like cycle is right for this athlete that he's coaching, but he really wants to know. Hmm. And so it's like a, it's a hive mentality. And I think that's where we really kill it, Hmm. you know, like in having success with our athletes, it's not just like one person toiling about their training. They know that coach knows like I have 10 people that I can turn around to and go like, look, like I'm stumped. What, hmm. what do we, Cause we don't all ever have the answers. Yeah. That is a fallacy, <laughs> yeah. total fallacy. And so I think having all the other coaches as a hive resource is super valuable. Awesome. For the coaches and the athletes. Cool. Yeah. It's pretty rad. Is there anything that you find yourself repeating over and over and over that maybe you think should be self-evident or obvious, but for some reason, all your clients and athletes need to hear the same piece of advice, like something that we could leave our listeners with? They're better than they think they are. Okay. And they deserve more. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Hell yeah. You know what is so funny? (laughs) I love that, man. Yeah. You started talking and I was like, I know the answer. (laughs) Yeah, I could tell. I could see it in your eyes. I've been kind of freaking out about it these last like four to six weeks. Yeah. And it's really funny. Like, I don't know that I would have stumbled across this idea if it wasn't for the influx of climbers into Lander. Hmm. I guess there's two points to this. This happens a lot with my athletes and a lot with people I see at the cliff. And I don't want people to think that I'm just like, totally assessing everybody at the cliff but it's something that i love about it is that like you can just sit back and like take it in Hmm. and watch other people and really learn from what they're doing and learn from what they're doing bad Mm -hmm. and what i see as one of the major 
detriments to people's climbing is that they don't appreciate themselves enough and they don't give themselves enough credit. And to that same point, they don't push themselves enough. Hmm. I'm all about taking the steps. Like I'm all about mm, take the medicine, you know, like, yeah, I know you want to climb 14A, but you do have to climb 13B first. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, like you can climb on a 14A, but let's not be fooled, you know, mm -hmm. like you definitely have to take some steps before you get there. And for sure, you could probably climb a 14A before you climb 13B. It's just going to take way longer, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to not be as fun. Anyways, I see a lot of people not pushing themselves in the right ways like hard enough, you know, taking the easy way out. And I think that stems from not believing in themselves, you know, putting themselves too quick to put themselves down. Hmm. Like I think a lot of the athletes, I wouldn't say a lot of the athletes that I work with are negative about their themselves, but it's real easy to do. You know, it's really easy to be self-deprecating hmm. in your training, in your day-to-day -day life, in your, in your climbing. And this is kind of a philosophical conversation because I think that that stems directly from the social media platforms that everybody uses <laughs> and they constantly are like, well, I'm not that good. You know, yeah. well, I'm not that good. I got to yeah. measure up to that. You mean I have to do like pinky pull-ups to be good? You know, like, no, hell no. Right. But I think the main thing I see at the crag is like, people are like, oh my God, I suck. Hmm. I could never do that or I can't grab this hold or I can't clip this draw or I can't do this or I can't do that. Somebody said that that move was too reachy. I'm not going to try that route. Hmm. I think that people are just straight up handicapping themselves by like, you don't have to be an egomaniac, but you can be confident. <laughs> it's okay. Cool. I got mad, mad respect for people who have the confidence of like, yeah, I'm going to do it right now. Hmm. You know, uh, Carlo Traversi said something really insightful one time. Just kidding. Maybe he said something insightful the other times. But no, this was really good. He was like, the difference between professional rock climbers and your average rock climber is the ability to just make a decision of, now I'm going to do it. Hmm. Now's the time. I don't have any more time. I'm going to do it right now. And then they do it. And of course, that's a skill. You have to be able to build up to that skill set and that high level skill set of like, I know when I'm going to do it and I'm going to like drop the clutch and we're going to do it right now to the mm -hmm. death. And I think a lot of everyday rock climbers or folks who are like trying to push themselves actually push themselves up against a wall because they're not believing in themselves. You know, they're like choking at the last minute. They're mm. like, oh, I'm not good enough, you know? Mm. And I would love to go to a cliff one day. And I love hearing people come down from the from their burns on routes or boulder problems and be like, I could definitely do it next go. Definitely. I'm like, yes. That like <laughs> fuels my fire, dude. Like hmm. like the negativity. Oh, that sucked. I did so bad. Like, I'm never gonna do that. The conditions are terrible. Whatever. I I've it's so disheartening to me, you know, mm. even as simple as like stepping up to the route and being like, yes, I deserve to be here. 
like just saying that to yourself could be so much more helpful than going like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do the crux. Like mm. right there, you've already, you've, you're done. You're not going to do it. I mean, maybe, but like pretty doubtful. Mm-hmm. And so pretty roundabout way of saying like, I would love to see more like positivity from people about themselves and of course to other people like to actually follow through with positivity on yourself you actually you have to display that to other people as well for it to be truth and uh, for you to believe that and so I think that like all training aside you could train all day and night and if you show up to the crag and you do not think that you're ready or you're not worthy or somebody said that the move was hard or that you can't reach the hold or that the hold is too small or it's too hot out god i just don't give a shit like just go up there and try you know like such a silly thing to say Mm -hmm. but just have some confidence in yourself you know and i think that climbing is one of the biggest it's one of the most transferable experiences that somebody can have to relate to their life, mm. right? It's like, yeah, sure. I say this to athletes all the time. I'm here to help you be a better athlete, but I'm actually here to help you to be a better person. Hmm. Because in the grand scheme of things, what does climbing mean? But if you can become a better person, you will become a better rock climber, you know? Hmm. And so... I guess I'm more, I'm really interested in that. Like, how do we get people to like believe in themselves, you know, like believe that they're worthy. And I think that starts with community for sure. And like trying to direct people in the way of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever Bill Hillbilly is over doing over there. Like, don't worry about Steve, you know, in the corner of the gym doing deadlifts and snatches. Like just worry about yourself. It's cool. Hmm. You'll be able to deadlift 95 pounds someday. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. But like, man, I just, I, yeah. The like, come off the wall, the I suck thing, that doesn't ever help. Never gonna help. What do you tell yourself when you're tying into the base of that 14C at Fossil Hill? Ooh, yeah. What do I tell myself? To the death. To the death. Every time. To the death. And, you know, it's kind of funny, like, one of the things I learned in Lander that I didn't learn before I moved here. Mm, We were talking about this the other night. Yeah, yeah. Was how to go to the death. Hmm. I know how to be angry and be like, (laughs) you know, uh, express that kind of emotion. But I didn't know how to do that on the rock. Hmm. And so it's really helpful for me to go like, I don't need to like say it to my partner. Sometimes I say it to my partner. Fist bump to the death. But... Yeah, to the death is what I say every time. And I love every second of it, you know? When you get to the death on the route, like, that's exciting, you know? <laughs> when it's when the margin is so thin of, like, in or out, on or off, that's, that's excitement. Hmm. That's pretty rad. And I love... If there's one other thing that I don't see in a lot of people is that either hmm. like knowing when to do that hmm. can you drop the clutch can you really try super hard all out i i think one of the th- one of the things i love at the cliff is emotion 
okay. on the wall. Yeah. Appropriately placed emotion, right? I do not care if somebody is on the wall, like losing it, you know? Of course, within reason, right? Mm-hmm. But I care more about somebody being emotionally attached to the route and like actually caring, showing that they actually care about what's happening in front of them. Not throwing a hissy fit, whatever, just being, show some emotion about it and then come down and like leave it up on the wall. You know, mm. I say that to a lot of people, like leave it up there, do whatever you want up there, but leave it up there. Hmm. And that gets me going. I'm psyched about that. Like I'm, I get like, you could, add, I don't even know. I'm like a loud dude sometime at the Clarag <laughs> because people who are like sending and like, yeah, like trying really hard. I just start screaming on the ground, you know, like, cause I just, it doesn't matter. And that's a really cool thing is like, it doesn't matter if you're sending your first five, nine and you're trying super hard, <laughs> really scared, or you're sending five fifteen, Yeah. Know, trying super hard. Everybody is still just trying as best they can. You know, that gets me going. Then I'm like, yeah, yeah. We're going to do that on our route. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think some, there's something so good about it. And that it's like, we don't have to relate everything to skateboarding, but skateboarding <laughs> is so visceral, right? Like you see that emotion immediately. Like, mm. hmm. The the like frustration in people with the skateboard or whatever, get pissed. It's mm-hmm. like, I, I just love that when it comes to climbing. Hmm. Right on, man. Yeah. Well, I think we could probably talk all day. For sure. Totally. Yeah. This has been really good. But this has been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I really no appreciate doubt. your time and all your, all, all your thoughts. And mm-hmm. I um, hope it's helpful. <laughs> yeah. I, I certainly got a lot out of it. Great. So I think sure. a lot of people will too. Okay. So. Right on. Yeah. Best of luck with your projects. Thank you. In the final weeks that you have. Oh yeah. And best to of luck death. with the move and yeah. to the death. Yeah. Thanks right. man. Cheers. Shake it up, stop when the clock hits 13 Sing one, two, three, four Cause, cause, cause No one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it